What a delight and joy uh, to be here to worship this evening. And so just kind of a little bit of a uh, couple of uh, preparatory remarks. Um, a little bit different type of service. We understand that because it's actually going to be a service contained within, a, you might say, a session meeting. And so we are, when I pray in just a moment, I'll actually be constituting ourselves uh, as a court in, in Jesus' house. And so that may seem a little bit different for you, um, but just to kind of give you a heads up on that, it's just the way the Reformed Presbyterian likes to do things a little bit decently and in order. All right. So um, uh, the other thing we do want to do is uh, welcome Pastor Joseph Friedley. He'll be giving our message a little bit later. I really don't have to introduce him. He's a son of this congregation. You all know him, pastor of Black Forest uh, Reformed uh, Church now. And we also have some other visitors around here. We've, I've seen visitors from Laramie, others from Black Forest. And um, it, it just goes to kind of make one more impression the importance not just of God's people coming together, which is huge in itself, okay? Necessary. But for when we mark certain occasions, we celebrate together. You know, I've always loved Psalm 20. And I hadn't meant this, but throughout my time in the chaplain corps, Psalm 20 is our, our, our goodbye psalm. Whenever people come in, spend time with us, when we would spend two or three years getting to know someone, sharing with these people, laughing with these people, crying with these people, Psalm 20 is a psalm of blessing. And it talks about people who are at a distance. When they hear of what God is doing in your midst, they're going to raise their banners high, and they're going to wave them, thanking God for what he is doing in your midst. And we have people who have come from afar to wave their banners, in a sense, to say, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing in the midst of springs Reformed Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to meet with your people. What a joy it is to come in your presence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask your presence to be with us this evening as we gather. Yes, we come with the idea of installing an elder and ordaining and installing some deacons, and there's this sense of celebration. But only because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross and what he is accomplishing in our midst here. So while our thanks is for this occasion, our praise is to you, Heavenly Father. And so we come together as your people, asking your presence, your spirit, to pour forth. And Lord, we would now, 
constitute ourselves as a court in your house by the name and authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Zion's only King and Head. And by his name and authority I pray. Amen. You'll have the final reading of our edict. Elder Tom Pinson, Elder Elect Tom Pinson, and Deacons Elect Mark Pinson, Alex Glassford, and Lincoln Hoover, having been chosen to their respective offices by this congregation and having been examined by the session and judged qualified to take these offices, notice is hereby given that the 16th day of April in the year 2023 has been fixed as the date for their ordination and installation, with certification that the session will proceed in the same manner unless some valid objections be offered to the session. Note that Tom Pinson is already ordained as an elder and is so is only to be installed. The ordination and installation will be held at 5 p.m. at Colorado Springs Christian School, 4845 Mallow Road, Colorado Springs, Colorado, given this 28th day of March in the year 2023 by order of the session. I did confirm we have a quorum. So, sorry, I confirmed that to Kelly, but I didn't announce that. We do have a quorum of our congregation. Well, good evening. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I actually just want to follow on to something Kelly just said a moment ago. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, which was where I was preaching this morning up at Black Forest, our final verse was, So the church, singular, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. There are multiple churches represented in that phrase. So the church was being blessed. They had peace and was being built up. Tonight we get to taste that. As uh, Kelly was saying here a moment ago, we get to worship with brothers and sisters from various parts of the world, and it's great for us to come together and to rejoice. So if you would, please turn with me in your psalm books now to Psalm 95. And our call to worship comes to us from Psalm 95, the first two verses. The psalm calls us to come and to give praise to God, and then it goes on to give us ample reason to worship. So if you've found Psalm 95a, please stand to hear this call to worship. Hear now the word of God. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Amen. Let's do that with Psalm 95, Selection A.
please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 6. It's good to be with you all and to uh, be able to be here with you to worship and to witness you all as a church receiving good gifts from the hand of God. Since tonight is the occasion for the installation of a ruling elder and the ordination and installation of three deacons, I wanted to look at a text of God's word that applied to the whole of the church, that applied to elders, deacons, and the congregation, the apostles here in our text, essentially standing in for the elders who would later follow them. Uh, But this is a a text of God's word that addresses the whole of the church and really uh, is a parallel to what you guys are doing here as you've elected this elder and these deacons. And now as we get to watch them be installed and ordained and installed. And so we're going to look at this text to see what God does in the life of his people in providing them the leadership that they need within the church So let's go now together to God's word to consider life in the church. This is Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses. This is the word of God. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. Let's bow briefly for prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you for this word that you teach us is both living and active. Lord, we thank you for the occasion that brings us together tonight to worship and the way in which we get to see this local congregation receive gifts from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to your word to consider the way in which you do give these gifts and why you give them and the order and the blessing that they are to the church, we ask that you would be with us and that you would bless us, that by your word we might be filled with hearts full of your praise. And so we pray that you would bless us now to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to jump right in here tonight, and we're going to begin our examination of this text by considering first the presence of a problem Our passage opens by describing the way in which the early church was increasing quickly. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. But right then following that, the text goes on to describe how that growth was accompanied by grumbling. Growth and grumbling, a complaint arose. So even as the church was experiencing this great blessing from God, it was also accompanied by the presence of a problem. So what was the problem? 
Well, at first glance, it may seem rather straightforward. It seems even rather simple. It seems as though some of the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. But as John Calvin points out, the text neither refutes nor affirms this reality. And so it may have been that that is exactly what the problem was, that the problem was itself real. But it also may be that this problem was only perceived. One of the reasons why Calvin wonders about this is because the Greek word for complaint here is the same Greek word used in the Septuagint to describe Israel in the wilderness. And if you've read the book of Exodus a number of times, you know how often they are found grumbling or complaining. So while the church is here in the book of Acts experiencing great blessing and growth, we see it is also accompanied by this grumbling. While the church was experiencing blessing, it also had mixed within it a problem. This portion of God's word pictures life in the church. In each and every stage within the life of a local congregation, the church will always experience both blessing and challenge. The church will always know God's favor and even attacks from the enemy. And so simply observing the early church should prepare us for our own experience within the church today. We should be prepared to face real problems, either because the church is full of real sinners, or we should be prepared to face at least the perception of problems, because as sinners we often misunderstand or misinterpret the reality around us. Well, our Lord and Savior promised to never leave us nor forsake us, but he also prepared us for life in a fallen world, saying to us through the Apostle Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. That admonition from Peter is corporate. And this is something that we as the church must do together. So being prepared to know both God's blessing within the church, but also the attacks of our enemies, what is the church to do? Since we will in one way or another face the presence of a problem, how can we be prepared to live within the church? Well, that brings us second to consider the importance of a priority. The importance of a priority. The word priority came into the English language in the 15th century. And when it did, it was singular. It meant the very first thing or the thing that was before or above or prior to everything else. And that word stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only moving into the 20th century did we pluralize this term and start talking about something like priorities. Isn't that fascinating? From priority, singular, to suddenly in a world with divided attention, priorities. For most of the history of that word, people would think in terms of one focus, one purpose, one priority, and only in the last 100 years have we as modern people tried to say, well, I can have multiple priorities. So consider the kind of clarity that comes when you have one priority instead of multiple priorities. What kind of difference does it make when you have only one thing to focus upon instead of so many? 
Well, anyone could tell you it makes a great deal of difference. So let's consider the priority entrusted to the apostles. Listen to what they say to the whole congregation. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Notice here that the apostles are not saying that serving tables is somehow unimportant. Notice also that the apostles are not saying that they are above such service. Instead, what the apostles are simply saying is that they have a God-given priority. And that singular priority is the ministry of the word and prayer. And that is why the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They have a God-given priority. And notice that these are not two different things. In verse 2, they say it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word. But then in the parallel statement found in verse 4, they say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so you can see here that the ministry of the word and prayer are two sides of the same coin. These two things must go hand in hand. And the reason for that is because preaching requires prayerful preparation. Commentaries are good. Bible software is good. But these things are actually not necessary. What is necessary is the word of God and prayer. The ministry of the word must be accompanied by a prayerful preparation. And so it is very instructive for the church today to see how here the apostles exercise a form of spiritual discipline in order to safeguard the priority given to the church by God from other things. They are safeguarding this priority from other good things. And we need to see that. They are safeguarding the priority of the church from good things that may distract. And so it requires discipline for the ministry of the church to guard and to keep her God-given priority. So why is this the priority? Why is it that the apostles must stop and say, here, this is it. This is our priority. Why must the church be devoted to the word and prayer above all else? Well, it is simply because of the purpose that God has assigned to this priority. To help us understand this, I want you to think about a thriving garden. Think about the most beautiful garden you have ever seen with a variety of plants all thriving together, flowers growing all over together. Such a beautiful garden must be fed and nourished from some sort of fountain. Without a water source, there would not be a garden. And so in this analogy, the fountain or the source of all of the growth and flourishing that we see within it is the preaching of the word. The fountain is like the preaching of the word. The fountain is what feeds the rest of the garden. And so we as the church need the preaching of the word of God accompanied with prayer for our flourishing. But stick with that analogy a little longer. Notice that the ministry of the word and prayer is not everything. In such an ecosystem, there are many other factors contributing to the health and well-being of each of the plants. Things like soil, things like temperature, all of the different factors going on within that ecosystem all contribute to the health of the plants. And in fact, oftentimes those plants are contributing to one another. 
And so we might liken these things to things within the church today like fellowship and mercy ministry and service. The fountain for the ecosystem is essential and it must be prioritized. But then just because it is the priority does not mean that it should be pitted at all against the other aspects of the ecosystem. Instead, all of these things actually are designed by God to cooperate for the flourishing of God's garden. So what do the apostles do? They know that they must maintain their God-given priority, and yet they also realize there is a real or perceived problem. There is some sort of problem within the church, and it needs to be addressed. Well, that brings us to our final consideration this morning, or this evening, and that is the necessity of a partnership. The necessity of a partnership. The apostles could not do it all, but they were never intended to. And similarly, today in the life of the local congregation, the eldership of the church cannot do it all. But they were never intended to. So when the apostles are faced with this dilemma, what did they do? Well, first we see that they bring together the entire congregation and they cast a vision. And their vision starts with a strong commitment to this God-given priority, but then they pivot and they provide this plan to maintain their priority while also addressing that very real need within the church. And look at how their plan essentially has two parts. The two parts are delegation and devotion. First, the delegation. The apostles say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Here we witness the establishment of the office of deacon. And as you can see here, the election of these men came from within the congregation. There's a partnership going on right from the beginning. When the apostles call for the election of deacons, they call for the congregation to choose from among themselves these seven men. It was from the local leadership of the church then that these men were elected to be examined and then ordained into their office. And so in all of this, we see that principle of delegation. But notice how that principle of delegation provides for the second part of their plan, which is devotion. Because they delegate, the apostles can devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. It is only as they are able to delegate to the deacons that they can focus upon their devotion. They are not distracted now by something else, even that good thing within the church. And so delegation actually safeguards their devotion. They need to delegate to others the ministry of the church so that they can focus upon their priority. And so we need to appreciate this delegation in two ways. First of all, we need to see and appreciate how this delegation is actually a partnership in the ministry of the word and prayer. It is actually a partnership in maintaining the priority that God has given to his church. Without these men and their willingness to serve, the apostles will soon be overloaded. They will have to leave off of their priority and the church will suffer. So these servant-minded men are actually contributing to the maintaining of the ministry and the momentum of the local church. But second, we also need to notice the response of the congregation to this God-given plan. 
What did the congregation do when the apostles stood up and presented this plan to them? Well, look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. The text then goes on to tell us of how they eagerly employed this plan that was given to them. The healthy church employs the eager involvement of the whole congregation, from the elders to the deacons to every last member. And so in various ways, each member plays a part within the life and ministry of the church. The ministry of the church is a partnership. It is a partnership between elders and deacons, between elders, deacons, and the entire congregation. It takes a unified partnership within the church to carry out the ministry that God has assigned to her. All of this reminds me of Jethro's advice that he gave to Moses in Exodus 18. Jethro comes to visit his son-in-law and he sees a man who is overwhelmed, who is burdened by all of the needs that are falling upon his shoulders. And so he says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And so he goes on and he gives Moses counsel. And that counsel is to delegate and to involve the rest of the congregation in this sort of partnership. And what do we see Moses doing? He takes that counsel and he eagerly employs it so that he can carry on his ministry. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of the church is always a partnership. As God's word here makes clear, it is a partnership that involves every member And Satan is going to come to you at various times in your life within the church, and he is going to whisper his lies into your ear, essentially saying to you, your partnership is not important. You're not really needed. And you need to be ready at those times to recognize those whispers as a temptation, as a lie. Because what Satan is eager to do with his lies, with his temptation, is to hurt the local church. And so you need to be ready to fight off those temptations. Satan is going to come and say, your service doesn't matter. Your attendance doesn't matter. That friend that you might want to call, it doesn't matter. Well, remember, each of these are lies. You are actually a part of the ministry of the church. Your partnership matters. And you need to see here in God's word that your partnership within the ministry of the church matters. Satan will aim his subtle lies toward you, designing you or designed to get you to neglect the partnership that he has with you in the church. Let's step back now. And just consider the big picture of our text. Here we see, in the beginning of the text, this grumbling arise within the church. And it could be real or it could be perceived. Well, either way, Satan is aiming to do harm to Christ's church. So what did God do with what Satan intended for evil? Well, Satan created this complaining among God's people, and that complaining was clearly intended to disrupt this powerful gospel momentum in the early church. But notice, notice God. Notice Christ exalted on high and how he repurposes 
this intrusion into the church for his own glory and for the good of his church. What Satan intended for evil, God used for great good. So how did this happen? Well, we need to see here how the congregation walked by faith and not by sight. Notice here the patience of God's people within the church. This problem in the church did not make them jump to unbiblical conclusions. That didn't allow them to say, well, let's just create one church over here for the Hellenists and another over here for the Hebrews, and that will sort out our problem. No, instead they waited upon God for that appropriate solution to their problem, and they waited patiently. It didn't happen overnight. But then second, notice the wisdom of the apostles. You see, it was their biblical response to the problem that allowed them to both safeguard that God-given priority while also delegating the appropriate resources to dealing with that issue within the church. And so third, notice the involvement of the congregation. Notice the partnership of everyone involved. When the plan was put in front of them, the congregation, it seems, embraced it with open arms. Essentially, in all of this, we see all of God's people looking to Him by faith. We see them that they don't overreact when they witness sin's intrusion within the church. But then on the flip side, they do not also ignore it. Instead, waiting upon the Lord, they press on according to the purpose and the plan that God has given to them in the Word. And then what happened? What happened as God's people waited upon God and went to His Word for instruction? Well, look at how the text ends. Beautifully, it says, And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That last phrase there is debated. That note there of a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. But I believe with many other commentators that that's a note to help us see the great work that God is doing. The priests at this time were the greatest enemies of the church. And here they are becoming obedient to the faith. How did a problem lead to a greater inclusion of outsiders into God's people? And so here we see how God took what was intended for evil and he used it for greater good. Well, brothers and sisters, tonight God is blessing you with an additional elder and with three new deacons. And so as you receive these gifts from God and as you mark this small transition in the life of this congregation, do not expect every problem to go away. You will face problems within the church. But be confident in what God is providing for you in the eldership of the church, in the deacons of the church, and in this whole congregation. Be prepared to involve yourself in this partnership in the church, to encourage one another to wait patiently upon God, and to seek for biblical solutions to the problems that you will face. Trust in God to take whatever the enemy intends for evil, to transform it and to use it for your greater good and the good of many others 
and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for this, your holy word. And Lord, even as we were only able to spend a brief few moments here in your word, we thank you for the way in which you demonstrate to us your sovereign, loving, all-wise care for your church. Lord God, we pray that you would use this word, that it would have its intended effect upon each of our hearts tonight. We pray that you would help us to have biblical expectations for life in the church. Uh, We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us to wait patiently upon you and to go to your word to see how we are to deal with issues when they arise. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to order ourselves rightly, and we thank you for the occasion tonight to add an elder and three deacons to the leadership of this congregation. And so, Lord, we ask that as this congregation looks to the future, that you would cause them to have confidence in you, to use even what the evil one intends for evil for greater good. Lord, we pray that you would give us confidence, that you would actually fill us with joy in believing these things. And so we pray for your blessing upon Springs Reformed Church. Lord, as they rejoice tonight, we pray that you would give them confidence for the future. And so we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, turn together in our psalm books. Let's turn together to Psalm 67a. Because in this psalm, we seek for God's blessing upon us. We see that that blessing has a greater end, that God's salvation may be known throughout this world. And so let's seek that blessing earnestly upon Springs Reformed Church, that we might serve here as a witness to this community. Let's stand and give praise to God, Psalm 67, Selection A.
You may be seated. We now come to the part in our service where we do the narration of the previous steps. Here's how we got here. Um, it's a good to hear this story. There has been evident need for some time for additional elders to be added to the session and for more deacons to serve on the diaconate to help lead this congregation. At the session meeting on October 10, 2021, the session received a request from the deacons to work through adding, toward adding more deacons, suggesting Alex Glassford, Buck Pinson, and Lincoln Hoover as men to consider, among others. On December 13, 2021, Josh requested on behalf of the diaconate in an email that these three men serve as assistants to the deacons, helping with the various tasks our deacons perform. They began serving soon after and have been serving until now. Over time, the session discussed various men who might someday serve as elders. The session held a special meeting on August 29, 2022 to discuss the potential election of new elders and deacons. It decided to meet with each man under consideration for the office of elder to move forward and to move forward with certain men. For the office of deacon, the session made a decision to move forward with Alex Glassford, Buck Pinson, and Lincoln Hoover, providing training followed by an election. In a meeting on November 7, 2022, the session interviewed Tom Pinson to discuss the possibility of his returning as an active elder. Tom had served on the session for some time before. The session decided to nominate him to the office of elder at the upcoming election. On November 15, 2022, the session agreed to nominate Alex, Buck, and Lincoln for the office of deacon. It made plans to conduct a series of training sessions with these men on the biblical and constitutional qualifications of deacons. In its meeting on six, December 6, 2022, the session decided to set February, February 1, 2023 as a date for an election of elders and deacons. That congregational meeting was held on February 1, 2023. The session nominated Tom Pinson for the Office of Elder and Alex Glassford, Buck Pinson, and Lincoln Hoover for the Office of Deacon. There were no nominations from the floor. Each of the men nominated were elected by an overwhelming majority. At a meeting on February 21, 2023, Alex Glassford and Lincoln Hoover were each examined by the session and sustained. Tom Pinson was examined by the session on February 26, 2023, and was sustained. Mark Pinson was examined and sustained by the session on March 14, 2023. 23. Can't speak here. <laughs> Through email, April 16, 2023, was set as a date for the ordination and installation service. Notice was hereby was sent to Presbytery. March 28, 2023, the edict was read before the congregation on April 2 and April 9, 2023, and finally today. Okay, well, now we are here at the, uh, the big moment. Um, we probably all stand and we're going to have other vows later this summer, but uh, this is the big moment when uh, these men commit themselves to what we're here for, and I suppose they could beg out right now um, but we uh, I'd, I'd like to have our three um, deacon elects and our elder elect 
uh, come up here. And I'm, I'm going to spare us all the uh, agony of having me propound these vows to each one separately. So uh, we are, uh, we're going to, to think of a, a, an infamous uh, statement that somebody made once, and we may have to just read your lips. But we hope you'll be true to what we see you saying if we can't distinguish it from each other. I, I did want to just make a, a note about these vows. When we take vows as a congregation, we do vow to a certain submission to the teachings of the church. It's not absolute submission. We don't expect everyone there. But when our men are elected and installed, we expect a greater commitment to the doctrines of the church. And so necessarily, they've come to maybe perhaps a greater agreement with what the church says, although it still isn't absolute. So you'll want to listen for the degree to which we, these men commit themselves to promote and support the doctrines of this church, and particularly, and maybe as they may disagree, to not be divisive in the way they disagree. Now, just so you're not confused, that was not a charge to anybody. Those are coming later. I felt a little jealous of those guys. So I... Okay, so men, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and life? I do. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Redeemer of men? And do you confess him publicly as your Savior and Lord? I do. Do you believe that it is the duty of Christians to profess publicly the content of faith as it applies to the particular needs of each age and situation, and that such profess public profession, otherwise called covenanting, should be made formally by the churches and other institutions as well as informally by each believer according to his ability? Do you believe in and accept the system of doctrine and the manner of worship set forth in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms, and the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church as being agreeable to and founded upon the Scriptures? Do you believe it to be the teaching of Scripture that church and state are distinct and separate institutions that both are under the mediatorial rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and that the permanent form of church government is Presbyterian. I do. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of men and nations and in loyalty and obedience to him it is our duty to follow the noble example of the faithful confessors and martyrs of Jesus in their witness for divine truth and in their sacrifices and labors to establish the kingdom of God on earth. So far as you can know in your own heart, is it the call of Christ, the glory of God, and the welfare of the church, and not any selfish object that moves you to undertake this sacred office? that you may perform faithfully all the duties of the office to which you have been called 
do you engage to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Excuse me, before I, before I finish this one, we, do, we have a slight variation at the end of this vow for the deacons and for Tom. So I'll read it twice. Uh, that you may perform faithfully all the duties of the office to which you have been called. Do you engage to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Do you promise in his strength to live a holy and exemplary life, to study and promote the purity, peace, unity, and progress of the church, and to the deacons to practice the grace of scriptural stewardship, to cultivate it in the congregation and to endeavor to handle the Lord's money in a manner which is efficient above reproach. And Tom, do you promise, I'll just read the last part of that, in his strength to live a holy and exemplary life, to study and promote the purity, peace, unity, and progress of the church, to watch over the spiritual growth of the members of the congregation to endeavor to win others to Christ, to visit the afflicted, and to attend the meetings associated with your office. Do you promise subjection to all of you in the Lord to the courts of this church and engage to follow no divisive courses from the doctrine and order which the Lord has solemnly recognized and adopted and do you promise to submit to all the brotherly counsel which your brethren may tender you in the Lord? Okay, thank you. We will move on to the next part of our service. And I believe that's the signing of queries. Do we have those queries ready to be signed? Okay. Well, they're right. In my book right here. Do you all want to come sign my book? <laughs> I have another copy. Uh, here are the queries. Here's the bring a pen if you have it or share and just sign these queries uh, where you can. Each one or at nope, the just sign at the bottom in the margins. All right. <laughs> kind of like signing a yearbook. Presbyterians do things and y'all don't have an autographed copy of the conference. Okay. All right, then we move on from here to the uh, prayer of ordination and installation. And are you going to invite the appropriate people yes, to that event? Yes, we're going to pray for these men now. And uh, this does require a little bit of instruction, mostly for them. Um, we are going to ask them to kneel. And um, we're also going to want to kind of uh, gather around you a bit. So if you could step forward just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we need room, we'll just kind of move this up. But if you guys could move kind of forward just a little bit and um, give us room to come behind you as you kneel down. We can put our hands on you more easily that way. And um, I would like to invite any uh, elder, teaching elder, ruling elder who's here tonight to please come forward so that we can um, lay hands on these men and pray for them. And this would actually be extended to anybody who is a NAPARC ruling elder or teaching elder. Okay, let's pray. Our great God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are high and lifted up. You inhabit eternity. 
you dwell in the high and holy place, and your name is holy. We thank you for your great provision in all things. We thank you for the gifts that you have given to your church, for the apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers and all the servants of your church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build us up in our faith and to present us as mature in Christ. Father, thank you for these gifts today. I thank you for Tom as a ruling elder and for Alex and Lincoln and Buck as deacons. I pray that Tom would be faithful to watch over the spiritual growth of the congregation and to love and serve faithfully in Christ. I, I pray also that Alex and Lincoln and Buck would faithfully lead the congregation in the ministry of mercy and love and serve the congregation as Jesus loves the church. And we bring these requests before your throne of grace in the name and by the authority of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. You guys can return to your seats. Okay, I would ask you to please find your Psalter now. Turn to Psalm 133, Selection B. This uh, is a very familiar psalm at occasions like this. It's a beautiful psalm about unity and just how precious that is. Uh, so uh, let's uh, together stand and sing Psalm 133, Selection B. pleasure now to present a charge with our elders and deacons. Now, like in the program, we're installing one new elder, but it says this is a charge to the elders and deacons. So I'm considering this to be those who have already been serving as well as those who have now been installed and elected. Maybe a little bit different because I'm not going to charge you with how to be a good elder or how to be a good deacon. I'm not going to charge you with a lot of the details of responsibilities, duties, expectations. Uh, I've had the pleasure and privilege to sit in on the examinations of these men. I've, I've seen some of the training they've gone through. 
It's a gifted group of men. Very impressed. Very pleased. Very happy for Springs Reformed. A lot smarter than me in a lot of things. So I'm not going to charge you in those things. We're going to, I'm going to read some verses from John's Gospel. And I'm going to improvise just a little bit. If you are a deacon or an elder of Springs Reformed Church, please stand. John's Gospel says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Realize the context Jesus is saying this. A lot of times we take this and it's like, oh yeah, we're the ones who tell everybody else to love one another in the church. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Those who would be leading, growing, encouraging his church. What's new about it? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. It doesn't say how proficient you are in your job and your responsibilities. They'll know. It doesn't say how smart you are. They'll know. It's if you love one another. That's how know your disciples of Jesus Christ. Then again in John 15, just a couple of chapters later, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You kind of get it's a repetitive theme for Jesus to his disciples. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I have heard from my father and have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I had three older brothers growing up when I was just a little boy. My dad went away for a day. And my older two brothers, I don't know what got into them. He said, he pulled us all in, and I didn't have a choice, or else I'd get beat up if I didn't go along with it. He said, we're going to give mom grief today. We're just going to see how far we can push her. And we did. My mom got so frustrated, and she got so angry. She was not a yeller, but she yelled at us to line us up. And she was going to spank us. My older two brothers were just laughing as much as they could. They were really too old to be spanked. My mom got out the yardstick, and as hard as she could, she my oldest brother, she just went whack. That yardstick broke in two, and he just howled with laughter. She said, okay, you win. Your dad will come home. My dad came home. Lined us all up, sat us down on the bed. I wish he would have beat the pulp out of us. But you know what he did? 
He looked at us and he said, here, you had some fun today. I get it. Boys like to have some fun. But he said, guess what? She may be your mother, but she's my wife, and you will never do that again. If you want to lead this church, you will love one another fiercely. If you want the world to see this congregation and know that you're disciples of Christ, you will love one another fiercely. And I'm speaking to you men standing. You can look around and look in the eye of the other men standing. My charge to you is to love one another fiercely. You may be seated. I have the opportunity now to charge you all as a congregation. And so I'm going to turn in my Bible, and you can turn with me if you'd like, to Ephesians chapter 4. And read here the first 16 verses and just consider briefly three aspects to your life together as a congregation. So listen now to the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is, above, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by a human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from, who is, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word, and my charge is rather simple and short. First of all, remember your Savior. When Paul here calls the church in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, he reminds them that he is a prisoner of the Lord. 
he begins by reminding them of their Savior. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Whatever you have done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. I find that to be so incredibly encouraging regarding life in the body. As we remember our Savior, we are able to love one another. And so, congregation, receiving these good gifts from God, remember your Savior. Remember His call to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the price that He paid to purchase you. Remember your Savior. It is only as you fix your eyes upon Jesus that you will be able to bring glory and honor to Him. Second, remember His sovereignty. Here Ephesians 4 teaches us that when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And it tells us of all of the various gifts that Christ has given to the church. Tonight you receive four new gifts to you, his church. And this came by way of an election from the congregation, which means some of you may not have voted positively for these men elected. And yet, in God's sovereignty, they were still elected. And this is given to us, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, from the Word of God. This is how God has ordained the selection of deacons there in Acts chapter 6 and elders. And so, remember that these are gifts to you now from Christ. Remember His sovereignty as you seek to submit yourselves to the leadership of the elders and to the deacons, and as you serve alongside them. Remember God's sovereignty. And finally, remember your service. She says, I already preached to you from Acts chapter 6. The ministry of the church is truly a partnership. Each and every one of you, members here at Black Forest, Re or um, well, <laughs> Springs Reformed Church, Remember where you're at, Joseph? <laughs> Each of you, though, play a vital part in the life of the church. And again, as I said already, Satan wants to disrupt that. And he wants to tempt you. He wants to get you to believe that you're not an important part of that partnership. But listen to what Paul again wrote to the Ephesians. He says, when each part is working properly... Each part has a name and a face. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So congregation, as you receive these new gifts from Christ, remember your Savior, remember His sovereignty, and remember your role in your service to Christ in His church. Let's take up our psalm books again, and let's give praise to God. Let's turn together. Now to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, we're going to sing together the D selection in which we give praise and glory to God. So let's worship him. Let's stand and sing together Psalm 96, D. Da, 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 da.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've just sung, Ascribe unto the Lord, all families of the earth. Ascribe unto the Lord His strength and His most glorious worth. Ascribe unto the Lord the glory of His name. We thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to come and do this corporately as your people this evening. We thank you for the word sung. We thank you for the word preached. Lord, and as we look forward, we've looked past the things that you have accomplished we give you thanks presently for the gifts that you have given, and we wait expectantly for the work that you will perform. So, Lord, we bring this congregation, this portion of your church before you, praying that as they draw near to you, you would draw near to them. Bless them. And now, Lord, we would adjourn ourselves as a court in your house. Again, by the name and authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Zion's only head. Amen. Now, may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>